Um, today we're going to be talking about uh, Jesus' encounter uh, with a couple people on the road to Emmaus. This passage, this Emmaus Road story, has had a, uh, an amazing impact on my life, both in my ministry, but also just in my life, to see how God encounter, how we encounter God in, in ways that surprise us, and many times how we don't hear, hear God's voice always. So I'd invite you to pray with me um, as we begin. For this day, O oh God, we give you thanks, and either because of me or in spite of me, may your word be heard. Pour out your Holy Spirit that as we encounter the risen Jesus this day, he might speak to us in new ways, and we will give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. So before Jesus met with his disciples in that upper room, which I preached about a couple weeks ago, he made two other appearances. One of them, I think Louise is, Pastor Louise is going to be talking about next week, but the other one was with some followers who were traveling on a road that led to the city of Emmaus. And I'm going to be in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 33, but I want to begin with with Luke 24, 13. It says, Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Now the exact location of Emmaus is not known But many believe that it is either 7 miles or 18 miles. So obviously there's two different potential places. But either 7 miles or 18 miles from Jerusalem. Even though we have some scholarly indications on the locality of Emmaus, we do not know the exact location of the disciples' encounter with Jesus. And this elusiveness actually, I think helps us realize that the reality of our Emmaus Road experience throughout our lives with Jesus can be at any place and in every time that we meet the living Jesus on our journey. So what happens on this journey? Well, in verse 15 it says, As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleophas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know these things that had happened there in these days? I I love this passage. Because basically what, what's happening is that we first assume that these disciples that encountered the unknown Jesus were both men. However, there are many now who believe that it may have been a husband and wife traveling together. Cleopas appears in John chapter 19, verse 25. When the three Marys stood beside Jesus during, stood beside Jesus during the last hours of his life, it says Mary, Mary Magdalene, 
and Mary, the, the wife of Clopas, were there. Now, many believe that Clopas and Cleophas are the same people. So understanding that Mary, the wife of Clopas, they believe, was Jesus' aunt, possibly. So if it were indeed Mary and Cleophas that were traveling, it's interesting to me that even Jesus' relatives may not have recognized him because of what was going on. You see, these people who encountered Jesus' voice... His voice was eclipsed by the great grief and doubt and anguish that they had. They wanted to believe the end had not come for Jesus. But the fact was that they were on a road out from Jerusalem, which indicates that probably they couldn't believe that Jesus was still alive. Interestingly enough, in, in almost every, if not every, post-resurrection story that we find of Jesus meeting with other people, Jesus is not initially recognized. Because of their grief, because of their anguish, because of the uncertainty and the doubt, they wanted to believe with all of their heart. They had a preconceived idea of, of who Jesus was going to be and what Jesus was going to do. And the fact that he had died eclipsed the fact that he could be alive. And in almost every story, if not every post-resurrection story, when Jesus spoke to the people, he wasn't recognized. But you see, the, the story doesn't end with just Jesus speaking. Jesus said, responded back to them in verse 19, and he said, What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of an angel who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with the prophets, Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the, in the scriptures concerning himself. Even though Jesus was not recognized by these disciples, these followers, Jesus still went on the journey with them. Even when they looked at Jesus, and and I love this passage because when we think about Cleophas and his traveling traveling partner, they look at him and say, basically, they said, what were you doing? 
You're coming from Jerusalem. Didn't you see all of this stuff and all of this uncertainty? The person who we were following, who we hoped would be the Messiah, the King, suddenly died, was crucified and dead, and now nobody can find him. Are you hiding under a rock or something? But that didn't change Jesus' mind about telling them the good news. You see, my friends, all of us have dark moments. And Jesus comes even in our darkest moments. Whether it's frustration right now, fear, concern, grief, doubt, We all have it along our journey. Many have it right now because of what's been going on. But the reality is is that all of these fears and grief and doubt and anguish has been part of our lives along the whole journey. It just seems so much more real right now. But even in these dark moments, we have a promise and actually the reality is that God is with us, that Jesus is in those moments. And not only is he in those moments, but moments, but he is speaking to us through those moments. And even with the abandoned hope that those disciples had, Jesus decided to go and catch up with them and help them. And you know what? Jesus journeys with us even today when we have abandoned all hope. And I love the way that Jesus speaks to them. Jesus' conversation with disciples is is part of a list of questions. Did you hear them? He said, what things? Didn't the Messiah have to? And then he, he said all of those things. And you see, my friends, Jesus still speaks to us through questions and conversation through prayer, through scripture, through the conversations that we have with others, we hear and experience Jesus' voice that changes us. In verse 28, we continue the, the, the account when it says, And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on, as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and began to give it to them. And it was at that moment that Jesus, that they saw Jesus, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and immediately he disappeared from their sight. You see, this this conversation that Jesus was having with them reminded them of what the scriptures had said about who he was. Jesus probably even used the sights along the journey. You see, they were walking through an area where Jesus' life had been lived out, and he reminded them of what the prophets had said and and what he had done. And as they, they saw those appearances, they were reminded 
of Jesus' life in their lives. They were reminded of of Jesus' care and compassion that he shared with them in their lives. They saw Scripture being lived out and remembered in their very presence as they looked at those those, those hills and the valleys and the cities and the buildings and all of the stuff that was going on. You know, over the last week or, or so, do some conversations with the men that I work with, with through the General Commission on United Methodist Men, and, and even in some conversations, people have asked me, where is God? Where Where is Jesus right now? This morning I was thinking about that as as I was coming into church and and with the sun shining and with the the birds chirping and the gentle breeze that was going on, I I was looking around and I was like, come on, y'all. Look around. See God here. There's no way that we can look at all of the things that are going on. There's no way that we can see a world where people are loving and caring for each other. There's no way that we can, we can look at a world where such good deeds are being done by so many people and not see the living God present with us. Stop and, and look and, and hear and, and see. God is here. Even though we grieve, even though we're fearful, even though we're, we're anxious and, and full of anguish, God is here if we simply look and see. What is your moment of recognition of Jesus and Jesus' voice? In worship, yes, I I get, worship is completely different than anything that we've ever experienced, although we're six weeks in now, it's, it's kind of getting to be a norm, isn't it? But through hearing God's word sung and, and God's word spoken, and, and as we see the pictures of people worshiping, even though we are worshiping separate, we are together. We experience the, the voice and the person of Jesus in our worship. As we pause to listen to Scripture, God again speaks to us and and asks us questions and challenges us to hear afresh and anew the promises of God's provision and God's purpose and God's plan for us. Through the conversations with others, and we can hear God's voice spoken through the hands and feet of the, the people who are being the body of Christ in our lives. We can hear the heart of the Holy Spirit being spoken as we hear people. And through the love feast or communion. The writer of our study, the the book that we've been using for this study, reminded me of something that that I I really guess I never thought about. Because it says that when he took the bread and gave it to them, their eyes were opened. So I paused for a moment and thought about that as 
the author said, and imagine that Jesus took bread and he broke it. And as he broke the bread, his hands and wrists were revealed. And not only did they see broken bread, but they saw the nail prints in his wrists and the cuts on his hands. And immediately they knew that it was the resurrected Christ. Through the sharing of communion, we are reminded that Christ is our heart, that Christ is our life, that God, Christ is our provision. And in verse 32, they said, they ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us? You know, I used to think, I used to think when I, when I first began to read this story, I used to think about um, how hard-headed these people must have been. The presence of the living Christ was in their midst, and, and they just didn't see it. What were they thinking? But you know what? This wasn't the last time that people's hearts were strangely warmed. On May 24th, 1738, according to his journal, John Wesley, the founder of the United Methodist Church, had found that his enthusiastic gospel message had been rejected by his Anglican brothers. Heavy-hearted, he reluctantly attended a group meeting that evening in a Moravian chapel on Aldersgate Street in London. It was there, while someone was reading Martin Luther's preface to the Epistle of the Romans, that he felt his heart was, and I quote him, strangely warmed. He described it this way. I felt that I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that I that had taken away my sin, that Christ had taken away my sins, even mine, and he saved me from the law of sin and death. You see, as we experience as we experience Christ through our Emmaus Road experiences, we learn new ways of, of experiencing God's life and, and God's forgiveness and God's presence in our lives. One of the reasons, as I mentioned, that this Emmaus Road story was so important to me is early on in my ministry, I had an opportunity to be invited to attend a, a weekend retreat called the Walk to Emmaus. The Walk to Emmaus retreat is something that happens with United Methodists, but people of other denominations well, an ecumenical movement where people gather not to go for a physical walk, but to go for a, 
a walk of introspection and learning where they, they hear and can experience God's agape love, God's unconditional love. It's a place where we, we look at this story, but we look at ways that God loves us and the ways that we can experience God's love through other people and through other experiences. And it became a time for me where I saw the risen Christ in such a new and amazing way. And then when you leave the weekend, you leave equipped and energized to go change the world. Well, these guys, this man, this woman, these people on the road, experienced the living Christ. But what happened? What happened with that experience? Well, verse 33 says, They got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together. They said, It is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two that had joined them said, had told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. You see, my friends, comprehending this story is not as the same as recognizing who Jesus is. These two had suddenly realized that when they realized that it was Jesus in their presence, their grief, their doubt, and their anguish was removed, and they went into mission the mission of sharing the good news, they did a 180-degree turn and went back to the place they were running from to let them know that Christ was alive. Hearing and experiencing and recognizing, not just the story, but recognizing Jesus transformed them. And the hidden voice that they had not heard all the way to that stop on their journey, suddenly became visible, audible, and clear. You see, when they started on that journey, they were remembering the story of a dead Jesus. And it is one thing to remember the story of a dead Jesus, but it is a completely different thing to hear and obey the living Jesus. And that's what we're called to do. Yes, we are going to have doubts. Yes, we are going to have grief. Yes, we are going to have fears and anguish. But when we hear and, hear and obey the living Jesus, all of that is taken away. And we're given an opportunity to go out and to do mission and talk about the good news of the resurrected Jesus Christ. So let me ask you today, what doubts do you have? Maybe you've asked the question, where's God? Where's God in, in all of that stuff that's going on? I know a lot of our, our family is still going through the grief and the loss of loved ones. And I ask you, what grief do you carry? 
What are you anguishing about? What, are you, what, are your, what is your soul so challenged with? Don't let it drown out Jesus' voice calling you. Take time to hear. Take time to see. Take time to experience the living Jesus. Hear and obey that voice. You see, when these disciples came back and, and were in the upper room with the others, I believe that probably what they, what they were doing when they walked in, they went, Jesus is indeed alive. He is alive. And understand that they had experienced it too in their response for what we would say today is, He is alive indeed. When we allow ourselves to hear the hidden voice of Jesus, that is much louder than our our grief, our doubts, and our fears, and our anguish, then we can loudly proclaim he is alive. So let me try something with y'all. I'm going to say he is alive, and I want you to respond back. He is alive indeed. He is alive. He is alive indeed. He is alive. He is alive indeed. He is alive. He is alive indeed. Go. Share the good news, even through doubt and grief and fear. Give that to God and tell the world the good news. Live out the good news. Jesus is alive. Amen. Thank you, Rick. He is indeed alive. He is risen. And He is with us. And He will never abandon us in the things that we're going through right now. And as we've done every week, we're receiving the invitation of Jesus through praying Psalm 91 for 91 days. And hopefully you set an alarm at 9.10 a.m. or 9.10 p.m. or both. And you're continuing to remember to pray this psalm. Let's pray it together today in this special prayer. Lord, thank you for the rest that comes when I choose to live in your shelter. I declare you alone are my refuge, my place of safety. You are my God. I trust in you. I pray you will protect me and my family from the virus. I pray you will cover me and shelter me. I thank you for your faithful promises that remind you will protect me. Help me not to be afraid of all that I hear and all that I see. Help me not to dread the virus that is terrorizing our world. Lord, many are sick and more are fearful and anxious. I pray protection for me, my family, my church, my community, my city, my state, my country, my continent, and my world. I pray, Lord, as I make you my refuge, that no evil will conquer us nor come near our home. I pray for protection by your angels wherever I go. Lord, I love you. I trust in you. Please rescue and protect me. Thank you for answering when I call. Thank you for being with me in trouble. Thank you for salvation and the hope of heaven. And everybody said together, Amen. And so for this love feast today, we gather together at the table at Emmaus.
And so hear this invitation as we gather at that table and as you begin to gather your breakfast or your elements or whatever you have at home, let's gather those things together as we invite ourselves to this table. During the Easter season, the space between heaven and earth grows thin. Time and eternity are age-old promises that prove true. Long-held hopes become real, and we can finally believe that God's will might be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we gather in our homes to celebrate and remember in the company of the one who names us and claims us. Risen and present, not controlled by history, not confined by text, not contained in death. One who has walked alongside us, who has heard our questions and cries, who has offered gentle wisdom, one who invites strangers to be neighbors and enemies to be friends around his table. Christ invites us to this table in our homes if you know hunger or thirst for a deeper faith, for a better life, for a fairer world. Know that you are most welcome here and everywhere. We remember, we recall that just as Jesus broke bread in the upper room with the twelve disciples on the night before he died, sitting at a meal table, plates and cups, conversations and jokes, friendship and betrayal, he broke bread a second time, not in a city temple, but in a country pub, not with knowing friends, but with those who taught him, who thought him a stranger. Just as he had done before as the host, he offered welcome. As a master, he served making strangers into friends, making a meal a holy moment. So now we do as Jesus did. We drink and eat simple food and drink. Yet in these, Jesus himself promises to be present Christ himself offers to make us whole. So I invite you to go and gather whatever else you might need, whether you have bread or juice or whatever it is. This morning we have donuts and we have chocolate milk. And that is what we have from Magaz Donuts. And, uh, but yours might be something different. And whatever it is, if you have the communion cups and the little pre-packets that we have already blessed, you might have those. But whatever it is, we just invite you to gather it and to have it next to you. And so we gather in thanks to the one who already welcomes us home to the table from the dawn of creation to the Easter sunrise and beyond. Let us be still and know that Christ is present to save and to serve, to guide and to call, to comfort and to heal. It is, a diffi- it is difficult in this moment not to be near some of the people we love and might be worried about. So take a moment to say out loud or in the chat or comments on YouTube or Facebook the names of the people you wish were right there next to you at your table today. And I'll give you a moment to do that.
we also want to call to mind the people we cannot name, whose names we do not know, but we know they need our prayers and God's comfort. For those who have lost loved ones, for those who are sick and recovering, for those who are caring for loved ones who are sick at home, for those who are caring for persons in medical care, for those who are separated from loved ones, for those who are feeling alone and isolated, for those who are helping and are so very tired, for those who are struggling to find friends, food, comfort, And for those who are afraid, I invite you to take a deep breath on behalf of all of those who we do not know and cannot call by name. And as we do so, we know that God knows who needs our prayers and the spirit of Ruach, God's breath, is blowing from within us outward as the spirit of compassion and presence. So just take a moment to take in a deep breath. And blow it out. Again, in. And out. For your life, which binds our living. For your love, which shapes our giving. For your peace, which mends our breaking. And for your truth, which guides our knowing. We give you thanks, Creator God, Maker of all, Holy Lord, Risen One, Spirit of Life, Bringer of Peace. So I invite you to raise with me a plate of something on your table or a glass of whatever you're drinking and let's bless it in this way, repeating after me at home. With this bread that we break and eat, with this bread that we break and eat, Christ is present with us. Christ is present with us. With this juice that we pour and drink, With this juice that we pour and drink, Christ is present with us. Christ is present with us. So I invite you to take a bite of whatever it is that you have. I happen to have a lemon donut filled. And I'm not even wearing it. And let us respond together line by line. Christ food in our souls. Christ food in our souls. Our food shared like his. Our food shared like his. Christ life in our hands. Christ life in our hands. Our lives shaped by his. Our lives shaped by his. Christ love in our hearts. 
Christ's love in our hearts. Our love warmed through his. Our love warmed through his. Christ's peace on our path. Christ's peace on our path. Our path following his. Our path following his. And so may we be one in Christ, one in each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. Let's join together and Lord speak to me, our hymn of commitment. encouragement. May the blessing of God surround us. May angels and friends share our journey. May we be safeguarded, loved, and cherished. May we walk on holy ground. May people of faith inspire us. May wisdom and justice empower us. May we be wise and strong and creative. May we celebrate life in hope. May God's image grow within us. May laughter and courage heal us. May the gospel of life sustain us all the days of our journey home. And now may you shelter not only in place but in peace. And may the peace of Christ be your comfort now and forevermore. You are not alone. We are with you. We will gather together soon. But until then, God is present with you and we are too. Amen.